Breeze Ray. Hello and welcome to episode one of The Breezeway. If you missed our pilot, my name is Will Nevin. I am a writer, assistant professor of communications, a deep thinker, any other superlatives you want to hurl my way, whatever you want to toss. And on today's episode of the J.J. Abrams special, we're going to talk about why that man, J.J. Abrams, should never be allowed to touch another movie so long as he lives. But in happier news, we'll have an interview with Krista from Knowledgeable Cabbage Comics. They are a fellow comics journalist slash reviewer slash critiquer. And we have a real good discussion about what it means to be a critic, especially a critic of popular media. And I'll clean up a mess from the pilot and I will wax poetically about my day job here at the beginning of a new semester. But as with every episode of The Breeze Wave, we start first with comics. And specifically, I want to talk about Hill House today. Hill House comics being an imprint of an imprint. Joe Hill's pop-up on the black label for DC. Joe Hill being the scion of the greatest pop horror mind ever. But he isn't here because of his daddy. He certainly made his own name in comics with Lock and Key, which is a revered comic that is, one, being adapted, and two, something that I'll get around to eventually, probably. And his work in prose certainly speaks for itself. But looking specifically at Hell House, he is a writer and a curator. And while I don't know exactly what he's doing as the former, his work as the latter has to this point been excellent. And that excellence comes with the flagship title in the Hill House line, Basket Full of Heads. And I actually get into my pitch for this book with uh, Krista. So I'll, I'll leave this short for now. But to me, it hits this just perfect slasher grindhouse vibe. And it's it's a real simple, pleasurable book. The central idea is that on one of those storm of the century type occasions. We have a beach town that's cut off from the mainland and we have a bunch of convicts on the loose. A young woman is being terrorized by said convicts. However, she is armed with a mystical axe. And the good thing about the axe is the mystical part. And whenever it takes someone's head, the head stays alive. So she is literally running around in this storm with a basket full of talking heads. And again, it's not complicated. It's not as cerebral as maybe some of the other titles uh, in the line, but it just hits this really great spot for me. And and Hill does has done such a just a great job with it. And I'm really looking forward uh, to the next issue, which I believe is number four and should be coming out very shortly. The next book in the line, The Dollhouse Family, is much more cerebral. And it's much more of a slow burn, more methodical type of a title, the sort of title that would benefit from a recap page. But this is D.C., so we can't have any of that. But 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 anyway, um, the Dollhouse family is a multi-generational 
saga spans actually uh, more than a hundred years of, of history through uh, through this family, and uh, it's got a little spot of demon sex. I know some folks out there really go for the demon sex. Good for you. Um, good for you. I mean, demon sex might be good for you. Who knows? But uh, it's it's again a much more cerebral title and. I don't even know how to properly uh, sum it up. I, I see some of the uh, some of the promotional material uh, for it talking about uh, how it's sort of Indian in the cupboard mixed with you know whatever sort of horror book you want to put in there. Um, interesting title, and again, much more of a slow burn. The Lolo Woods is probably my second favorite title in the Hill House line coming right after Basketful of Heads. And it's 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 neck and neck as, as, as to <laughs> neck and neck. Um, it's a close call as to which one is my favorite. But the Lolo Woods is set in Shudder to Think, Pennsylvania, a dying coal town that's on fire from uh, the ground underneath. And this town is literally killing everyone. And if it's not the coal fire and if it's not uh, the old men who are dying from their work in the mines, it is everything that is going around uh, in the, uh, the, the haunted woods, as it were. And we have these two uh, girls, uh, the, the, the heroes of the book, trying to make their way through this, through this nightmare of a town as they're struggling with both growing up and and again, all of the the weirdness going on around them. And I, I love the art, the lettering. It's, it's all beautiful. And it's a really queer book, which is great. Um, and just a fascinating read. So Lolo Woods right up there with Basket Full of Heads. A title that just launched last week, uh, Daphne Byrne. Again, it seems to be a bit slower. Um, this is almost a, a Stefan uh, premise here, I think. Uh, this book has got a little bit of everything. 1886 New York with uh, seances, goth girls, dead dads, uh, imaginary uh, friends, apparently. And uh, again, some of the promotional materials for it uh, touted as a revenge book, which I'm always a fan of. But I... I I can't quite give it my uh, unqualified endorsement yet. I, again, it's a little it's a little slow. Uh, I will say the art from Kelly Jones of the really, really twisted, psychedelic, long ass, pointy eared Batman um, Jones. Uh, great to look at. Again, we'll see where the story goes, but I'm, I'm definitely interested. One. Uh, curious thing that's tying all of these uh, books together in the Hill House uh, launch line is in every in every issue we have a short, uh, a few panels, uh, a couple of pages sometimes from uh, Sea Dogs, which is a, a story that Hill has written, and Sea Dogs is basically the Revolutionary War with werewolves. And I like it because it is, it's curious, it's different, it's weird, 
but that does come with some disadvantages, meaning that if you're trying to follow the Sea Dog story, you have to sort of consume the whole line, which is why I have consumed the whole line. And again, it's the sort of thing that's hard to follow from issue to issue. So I would almost rather have Sea Dogs told as as it as a standalone thing. Um, I don't know how you would collect this. I'm sure they'll they'll figure out some kind of way. But I'm sure it's it's going to be something nice to sit down and read once it's all put together. But uh, this this will sort of date myself for the uh, uh, the Adult Swim fans out there. If you remember, there was a season of Aqua Teen and whatever particular season it was, the cold open for that season was a segmented um, portion of a pilot from the Plutonians, uh, Emery and Oglethorpe. Um, and that's how Sea Dogs plays out. Like you just get these snippets and you try to remember from like scene to scene, week to week, what happens. And it's kind of interesting. But then again, again, you just wish you could just consume it all at once. One book, and I, th I think the final book out of the, the Hill House launch series is Plunge. And that's coming out next month from Hill, which I think, again, why why it's why I think it's going to be the last title in this sort of launch book ended by Basketful of Heads and Plunge from Hill. It reads the, the solicit text reads like Event Horizon, but in the Arctic. You know, we have this abandoned ship that returns and there is a. A, a recovery mission sent out to, to sort of gauge what's left of the ship uh, to sort of figure out its fate, perhaps. And strangeness, horror and such continues. Event Horizon's great. Event Horizon in the Arctic is probably going to be great, too. So that's kind of my read on the Hill House line. I would certainly encourage you to check those books out. Specifically, Basketful of Heads and The Lolo Woods, two great reads. And hey, your mileage may vary on the rest. I certainly don't discourage any of them. I think uh, there's a lot of potential um, with, with everything in the line and a real interesting thing to see at DC. And the world can certainly use more horror comics. Okay, with the Hill House talk out of the way, Coming up next, J.J. Abrams, you son of a bitch. Got a lot, to, a lot to talk about. I'm gonna get back on my bullshit after this break. Stay tuned. Friends, Will Nevin here for WMQComics.com. Do you remember when things were simpler? Like back when a hard day's work meant something, or when there were only seven or eight Star Wars movies instead of eleven, or when the President of the United States 
wasn't a stupid racist. At WMQ Comics, we remember those good old days. Like when you could still find really good pornography on Tumblr. At WMQ Comics, we focus on five simple old-fashioned ingredients. News, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. Simple like it was in the good old days when an iPhone could fit comfortably in your pocket. So come on over to the friendly side of comics. Come on over to WMQComics.com. We'll be waiting. Hello and welcome back to the Breezeway. Specifically, welcome back to our B Block, where I get back on my bullshit. Today's bullshit is J.J. Abrams. I was listening back to the top of the show, and I think I was a little too gleeful and a little too shitty in my attitude toward Abrams, but I'm going to leave it right there where it is. Not going to go back and touch any of that. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Fucking thing sucks! So, my beef with Abrams is personal. And I'm a guy who loves his grudges, like slipping into a warm bubble bath of hatred. And this is not even Star Wars related. You know, we're going to talk with Krista about Rise of Skywalker. This has nothing to do with Star Wars. I want to make that clear. Star Wars is not my fandom. Now, I didn't like Rise of Skywalker, but, you know, Force Awakens was a dumb turd of a movie and Rise of Skywalker was just as stupid. And again, we'll talk more about that in our next segment. But it doesn't really matter to me because Star Wars was never my thing. Like, it's just kind of bright lights and space dog fights and space laser sword fights like it's just a silly little amusement star trek though star trek is serious and this is where my beef with abrams is star trek 09 not the best movie but perfectly serviceable It relaunches the franchise. It makes a couple of interesting decisions in setting up this alternate timeline. Blows the hell up out of Vulcan. Again, interesting decisions and perfectly serviceable as a movie. However, my beef with Abrams starts with Star Trek Into Darkness. And that's where the rest of this segment is going to go. Star Trek Into Darkness is bad. It's real, real bad. And this is an open invitation to fistfight anyone who thinks otherwise. If you want to come to me and say, hey, Will, I like Star Star Trek Into Darkness. We are going to fight. 
the rot is so deep in that movie. The rot is so bad. And it's, again, I, I, I can't properly contain my hatred for this movie. And it's all on J.J. Abrams and his writers. And while I could do a point-by-point dissection of this movie, I'm going to try to stick to two main ideas. Two main ideas where J.J. Abrams totally fucked up when it comes to Star Trek Into Darkness. And again, two main points here. I want to stick to the fundamental the fundamental misunderstanding of the Khan Noonien Singh character and a failure to understand the relationships in the new timeline he created. So, first, let's go back to Space Seed, the original series episode where Khan is introduced. And there is a lot of stuff you can talk about with Khan in Space Seed, but I want to go to one clip. Name? Ka, as we know him today. Name? Ka Nunian Singh. From 1992 through 1996, absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. From Asia through the Middle East. The last of the tyrants to be overthrown. I must confess, gentlemen, I've always held a sneaking admiration for this one. He was the best of the tyrants, and the most dangerous. They were supermen in a sense. Stronger, braver, certainly more ambitious, more daring. Gentlemen, this romanticism about a ruthless dictator is... But Spock, we humans have a streak of barbarism in us. Appalling, but there, nevertheless. There were no massacres under his rule. And as little freedom. No wars until he was attacked. Gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Spock, you misunderstand us. We can be against him and admire him all at the same time. Illogical. Totally. This is the captain. Put a 24-hour security on Mr. Khan's quarters, effective immediately. Again, a lot of interesting things in Space Seed. And the Space Seed Khan is a much more interesting character than the Wrath of Khan Khan. Because in Space Seed, we see Khan as ruthless, manipulative, a little bit sexist. And let's be honest, that's primarily the writing of the original series. But we see him as a master of soft power. And that's what the the conference room conversation that we just heard is all about. And, and not just the soft power, but the begrudging admiration. Khan originally is the manifestation of the idea that, you know, old white men say that, well, Hitler was a good leader. You know, he was able to motivate his people. Um, and that's really where the Khan character is. And we hear Kirk and McCoy and Scotty all say that, yeah, the guy was an asshole, but 
by God, he was a good asshole, wasn't he? And Spock totally doesn't understand it, reasonably, righteously so. And so we should take into, into darkness the understanding that, one, Khan is not just a lunatic, but two, and this is most important for Into Darkness, Khan is infamous in Earth history. Infamous. Everybody knows who the fuck he was. Like, sure, they had to look up in their, you know, space computers to find out, oh, the guy we have on board was Khan, Nooney, and Singh. You know, we had to look that up. But we know who Khan, Nooney, and Singh is. He was a historical figure. In Into Darkness... Nobody knows who he is. Spock in one portion of the movie has to go and, you know, teleconference with prime Spock. And, you know, he's like, well, who is this con guy? And, you know, prime Spock tells him, oh, he's very bad. You should be careful. And again, that doesn't make sense, given the character, given the history that's already established. And going even farther back into the production and casting of the movie, theoretically, um, this role was supposed to belong to Benicio Del Toro, which makes a lot more sense and avoids the stupid whitewashing that you have with Benedict Cumberbatch. And, and even that doesn't make sense in the movie because we get this line how he's had like, some plastic surgery or he's been facially altered or I, I don't even know if that was in the movie or if I'm just remembering something from a comic or who the fuck knows what I'm remembering. But to say that John Harrison, um, the fake identity that you know he adopts or that the evil Starfleet masters adopt for him Again, that's to suggest that, well, Khan was a figure that was known to history, and yet nobody acts like they knew who he was. And it's exhausting and stupid and a total waste of a classic character. And if you really want to understand Khan, you have to go back to Space Seed. So if you haven't seen that, do yourself a favor, take some time, watch that. Wrath of Khan Khan is interesting, but he's a one-dimensional, bent guy on revenge. And while I can get behind that, it's a much less interesting character than in Space Seed. Okay, so that's that's my first point. Khan character and Abrams and his writers' understanding of it in Into Darkness blows. Okay, on to point number two. Let's talk next about the relationships in the Kelvin timeline, and specifically the timeline of the Kelvin timeline. Let's go next to ah, the heartrending death scene in Into Darkness. I want you to know why I couldn't let you die. I went back for you. Because you are my friend. (laughs) 
the moment that Into Darkness lost me forever. And admittedly, this this is real late into the movie. And this says a lot about me as real, really an idiot. When Spock gives out that yell, I immediately take off my 3D glasses. Because again, I was a moron who went to, you know, see it in 3D. I take the 3D glasses off and I throw them on the ground. I was so absolutely disgusted. Yes, this scene is a ham-fisted attempt to recapture Wrath of Khan and two separate moments in Wrath of Khan. Uh, and and I'm going to move on from this quickly. But really, the, the death scene in Wrath of Khan is this pleasant little understated quiet moment. The action is over, and this is actually a time for sorrow and sadness and to admire the sacrifice that Spock has made. In Into Darkness, it's setting up the big stupid chase scene at the end of the movie. Um, so again, going to leave that there. But where... Kirk and Spock refer to each other as friends in this moment, where Kirk's death so drives Spock to despair. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of where we are in the Kelvin timeline. This is before the, quote, five-year mission of the Enterprise. This is basically immediately as Kirk is taking command. Now, compare that to the Prime Universe, where Wrath of Khan takes place, and I should have consulted Memory Alpha for this, but who gives a fuck? We'll say 15 years 15 years into serving with each other, 15 years into being friends, seeing uh, other friends die, losing people, going through all of their various uh, adventures and misadventures. There's time for that relationship to blossom and develop and mean something. But here, it's like, well, a coworker you didn't always necessarily like uh, or understand or get along with, they die. And, you know, I guess in most workplaces that would be uh, kind of fucked up. But, you know, in space, it happens fairly frequently. Uh, so this this does, just doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no reason why Spock should be so dismayed at the death of this asshole. So... Again, the Khan character, the casting, the characterization, the exposition in Into Darkness, all totally fucked up. The timeline and the understanding, um, the relationships between Kirk and Spock, totally fucked up. The movie is a shade better or worse, depending on how you consider it, better or worse than a straight-up parody of Star Trek. It's just an abysmal thing. And they could make another 50 Star Trek movies, and they'd have to work 
really, really, really hard to make one as bad, as fundamentally stupid as Star Trek Into Darkness. And that, that is why J.J. Abrams should never be allowed to make another movie, at least if you ask me. Okay. With this week's bullshit over and done with. Coming up after the break, we go to a nice conversation with Kristen. Knowledgeable, savage, knowledge. More Breezeway after this. Did you know that Kevin Conroy, the legendary voice talent best known as the title character on Batman the Animated Series, is on Cameo? Cameo is a service that allows fans to pay for short video messages from celebrities. Did you know that Kevin Conroy charges $75 on Cameo? That's pretty reasonable. Did you know that you can also pay for ads on Cameo? Those are more expensive. Kevin Conroy charges $750 for an endorsement. I didn't know that. That's too goddamn expensive. I'm Will Nevin, not Kevin Conroy. Listen to my podcast, The Breezeway. Or give me $750 and I'll have Kevin Conroy do this ad. Welcome back to the Breezeway. Yes, that was an ad for the thing that you are listening to. But it's my thing, and it's my ad, and you're going to listen to it. And you're going to enjoy it, goddammit. So, here in the C Block, we have got an interview with Krista from Knowledgeable Cabbage Comics. This interview is brought to you by Yellow Rose Bourbon, a fine American corn whiskey out of Texas. But I think the conversation is pretty good, regardless of my sobriety or lack thereof. Uh, We touch on a lot. Uh, Certainly Rise of Skywalker is a starting point. That gets us into the discussion of what place we have as critics and what it means to allow people to like what they like. Of course, again, if you like Star Trek Into Darkness, you're going to have to come fight me. Uh, Just send me an email. We'll work out the details, time and place, etc. I want to make it most convenient on you because you are the one operating under the delusion that that was an okay movie. But anyway... To the interview. Uh, we had a great time. I think it's uh, it's a pretty lengthy conversation, but it's a good one. Uh, again, here is Krista from Knowledgeable Cabbage Comics. We're going to do a plug sandwich, so we're going to get all of your plugs in at the beginning, and we'll plug it all again at the end. So tell the good people out there how they can find you, 
um, where they can go to to read your stuff, to interact with you, to stalk you, to do whatever they want to do? I would prefer the first on that list. <laughs> but what you can do is you can go on Twitter. You can find me at Cabbage Comics. And my website is knowledgeablecabbagecomicskc-comics.com. I also have bylines and, and I'm a regular contributor to the Valkyries, uh, Multiversity Comics, and I edit and contribute over at Comic Book Yeti. A great... What's the term? What's the term? Um... I wish I could help, but I can't. <laughs> I know. Um, and here comes the first edit. Um, it's all good. Cryptozoology. Uh, cryptozoological. <laughs> um... Uh, a great uh, crypto for the for the comics community, uh, comic yes. spaghetti. Always, always a good uh, source and friend to everyone. I don't think I've ever seen uh, anyone say a bad thing about about the old Yeti. Um, so well, yeah, there were a couple people on. Ki- you can edit this out. There were a couple people on Kiwi Farms who did last year, but were largely over that. <laughs> Wait, Kiwi Farms? It's the it's. Uh, 4chan went away, and Kiwi Farms is where all the Commerce Gate fuckers <laughs> are now, and so they they lightly doxed all of us because Matt decided to mention that he is not Commerce Gate affiliated and does not want to be. So that was a whole drama thing that happened earlier this year. Ugh, what turds. Yeah, they are turds. Uh, and see, that see, this is why I said no one ever says a bad thing about Comic Spaghetti because that implies people and not turds. <laughs> Yes, we have to. We have to be biologically correct here. <laughs> uh, we we're welcoming of of all people and and genders and faiths and sexualities, but not turds. If you're going to be a turd, turds. you have to go somewhere else. This is a turd-free zone. If yes. you are a turd, please unplug your listening device right now. <laughs> <laughs> go somewhere else. Find something else to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Go stick your head in the toilet. That's where a turd belongs, right? (laughs) Um, Exactly. So, this is the very first episode, the first official episode of The Breezeway. And and I was thinking that, I know, right? Um, I I was thinking about dipping back into the old interview archives. Uh, I I even had one in mind. I had um, a conversation a couple years ago with Dana Snyder. Um, Mm -hmm hilarious hilarious and i thought shocking i know right um yeah we could run that that'd be a good time everybody have uh, good fun i don't think i fucked up that interview too badly um (laughs) but then i was like yeah i put this out on twitter it's like hey if anybody wants to come on and do the show i'd love to have you and you you stepped up to the plate and i appreciate that krista because you're you're great and oh thank you um so so yeah, you beat out you beat out Dana Snyder. So you know, <laughs> wow, that's the first and last time that's going to happen. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but specifically, I, I wanted to talk to you because you you chimed in again on Twitter um, with a discussion I was kind of having with somebody. Um, you know, as in as much as we actually have discussions on Twitter. So yeah. I, I, I see this tweet. I see this tweet from some some guy, some friggin' guy. Uh, <laughs> and he, he lists out all of the Star Wars movies. All of the Star Wars. And he's like, I liked The Phantom Menace. I liked 
Attack of the Clones. I like Revenge of the Sith, etc., etc., etc. And so I, I quote tweet this friggin' guy, and all I say is that Star Wars fans got low standards. Now, <laughs> now this that's not that's not my fandom, right? I don't I don't have some great deep abiding love for Star Wars. I just kind of like casually consume it. Um, yes. In a different segment of the show, I'm going to explain why J.J. Abrams is terrible and how he broke my heart with Into Darkness, which was the shittiest thing ever made and ever conceived. But anyway, that's a different discussion. Um, it almost gave me a panic attack in the theater. So. <laughs> Into Darkness almost gave you a panic attack? Yeah. We can talk about that later. There, there are some editing problems with how he puts blockbusters together, <laughs> and it, it leads to some sensory overload occasionally. I can see that. I can see that. That's. I'm going to have to add that into my list of critiques, <laughs> the things that bother me with J.J. Abrams. That's to my mental health. Thank you. Um, but the, but I think uh, it's anyway. Um, my whole like desire going into rise of skywalker was i I just i just wanted to watch star wars burn like i wanted i wanted (laughs) i wanted people to experience my pain and i I, (laughs) like the you know the the critical reception i think has been just kind of like okay to mediocre i think as with anything like some people are really irritated or you know whatever um so anyway going back to my my tweet you know, I say that Star Wars fans got low standards. And then most people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. And then a couple of people were like, well, that's kind of an asshole thing to say, Will. And so I ask you, Krista, and mm-hmm. because I think you had some you had some thoughts on this question. Am I being the asshole here? And and this ties into like the larger question, and I think we could have a discussion on this. The idea of letting people like what they like. And uh, yes. in any kind of media criticism, we're, we're going to come up on this. We're going to come up on, well, what you, you know, why are you being so critical? Um, why are you dismissing this thing that I enjoy? Why are you pointing out the flaws in this thing that I enjoy? Um, but, and, and we can certainly get into this too. I, I Part of this obviously stems from like the 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 inherent toxicity of online discourse in that mm-hmm. specifically you know obnoxious white men occupying such a large uh, space in it anyway um, I've talked a whole bunch um, what do you have to say about any and or all of that so I saw the Star Wars you did <laughs> I was I was very upset that I had to go see the Star Wars specifically to do this podcast, but you gave me a reason to go see it. So thank you. And also I hate you for that, I guess. (laughs) Your sacrifice is noted. Thank you. Shockingly. And I'm going to explain this. Shockingly, I liked it, which completely blew me out of the water. I still have some significant issues with kind of how the whole, kind of how the whole thing works, even going back to the original movies. And uh, the let people like what they like aspect of fandom is something that I have a deeply complicated relationship with. Let's put it that way. I don't feel that as a critic, it's my role to necessarily let, let people like what they like. 
you can absolutely it's within your purview as a human being who is consuming media to do so but my job is kind of anathema to that i'm here to take a look at kind of under the hood at how things work uh how they're inspired how they're motivated how they're put together on the page or the screen and then communicate that so like what you like but i can't quote unquote let you do that (laughs) It's just not how I'm wired and it's not how we, how we function as critics. It feels sometimes like, and I see, I see people that, that enjoy just things that I don't, and certainly part of it is like things that I don't get, or I don't get how somebody could enjoy that. And I feel like, I feel like I'm the crazy one. Um, <laughs> right, and, and, and this this goes back to the to last episode, and then we'll 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 go back to to Rise of Skywalker. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't understand how people like White Knight. Like I I seriously <laughs> I seriously don't get it. Like that thing is objectively bad. Like it's it it's, is on on every level. It's not good. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like it's not even bad enough to be entertaining in a in a train wreck kind of way. Yeah, you know? it's it's plotting and ugly and mm-hmm. dumb and like I just. I can't understand how anybody would find any joy in that. And yet the thing sells and, and comics book Twitter is like so quiet about it. And, you know, like I said, which generally means that I think more people didn't like it and don't want to say that, but that's also me reading the tea leaves. So (laughs) yeah, it's like, I I figure Murphy just has friends. And when a creator has friends, you, we typically don't like, you know, talk about them on social media because then, People crawl in DMs and we get drama and then, 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 then. Um, I have a hard time keeping this straight, but are you part of uh, comics fandom and wrestling fandom? Or are you like that rare exception that's only here for comics? Unfortunately, I am a fan of both. (laughs) Okay, okay, good, good. That helps, right? That helps where I'm going with this. Um, I think we can all agree as 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 a people as a community <laughs> that that and we're we're going to get back to rise of skywalker i promise uh, oh no we, it's fine we can all agree as a community that gender mahal as wwe oh, champion was a bad idea right yeah it was like <laughs> unfortunately not good at the wrestling not good at promos they nope. they booked him in like the totally wrong way and like they didn't even take advantage of like the natural inherent underdog you know story the rise from nothing to champion like that could be a story that anybody could get behind and oh, we, yeah. we get this obnoxious guy who's just on television every week having these bad dumb matches and so to tie it back to this theme like i i am still struck by I, again, another conversation on Twitter where I'm just like, Jinder Mahal is very bad. Like he's mm-hmm. he's not good at the thing that he does, and yet I got people that tell me, "Oh, Jinder Mahal is the reason why I I watched wrestling." And it's like I don't get it. I don't get it. And did they tell you why? I, no, but I, like again, like idiosyncratic stuff, right? I mean, people are going to like these weird things for their weird reasons and 
I don't know. I, I guess it's 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 somehow on me to not feel crazy and to accept that people are going <laughs> to like weird stuff sometimes. Um, to not feel gaslit by the rest of the internet. <laughs> yeah, like, Wait, right? this is bad, you guys. This is legitimately bad. Yeah, and. Uh, I, I guess part of that on me is on me too to like just shut up and it's like okay you like Jenner Mahal that's fine just I I can't engage with you because I don't understand you we're just gonna <laughs> let it go um, yeah, on the interpersonal level yeah but. Uh, and, and like I I can say that I, I liked Star Trek Five I liked it for very specific reasons but on the whole it's a bad movie. Um, I'll give you that one, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, back to Rise of Skywalker. You said <laughs> you said you liked it, and that surprised you. What did you like about it, and like why was that surprising to you? Okay, so like you, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I am actually more of a Star Wars, more of a fan of the animated stuff. So like Clone Wars and Rebels are definitely my jam. That's where I found, I think, some of the most compelling Star Wars storytelling because you get to kind of dig in with other characters and you don't have to paint in such broad strokes. But Star Wars is at its best when it really just kind of does away with the trappings and focuses on, this is my dad's, uh, this is my dad's equation for a good movie. Good guys win, bad guys lose, blow shit up. That actual quote in our family and that is kind of how Star Wars functions. Like, you have the underdog kid, you have the scrappy rebels, you have the big bad empire. The rebels win after a lot of challenges. A lot of shit blows up. They save the day. It's kind of wish fulfillment. And it's, you know, but in layman's terms, it's wish fulfillment. I guess in academic terms, it's archetypal storytelling. And in a weird way, I think Rise of Skywalker actually hit some of that. Like, there was actual hope in that movie, which shocked me, because that's not really how Abrams rolls. Yeah, he... God, I... And it, ugh, I it's... I'm speechless thinking about J.J. Abrams. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's not good on details. He's not good in, yeah. like, explaining things or exposition or just really like setting out the rules for a universe. But yeah, um, I, I, uh, oh, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody who hasn't seen rise of Skywalker, um, I liked how the only, and maybe this is it. This like the only bit of, of exposition in the whole damn movie was <laughs> when, uh, was when Huck says, I was the spy. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> that was so great. That was that moment. I was like, I just have to like, give you a mental standing ovation for that delivery because it was so bad and so entertaining. <laughs> bless that, bless that poor man. They did that character dirty. There was so much potential there. And then it's just like, you're just going to kill him. I mean, having Richard E. Grant in this movie was a gift. Seriously. Every time he just hammed it up on screen, I was like, I love you, sir. You know exactly what you're doing here and what you need to give. And you gave so much. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> And, and again, this is, this is the problems with uh, – this is the one of the problems with, with Abrams and his work. It's like uh, – I've talked about it with my friends all the time. When you start to think about it, like you can have fun watching an Abrams movie. 
mm-hmm. when you get home and you start to think about it, it all just kind of falls apart. Uh, Hux exactly. especially. So you know, <laughs> yeah. he he comes in, he saves the day. You know, he shoots these stormtroopers off screen, and then he's like, "Oh, you got to shoot me in the leg to make it, you know, believable or whatever." Mm-hmm. And then you're thinking like. Are there not security cameras on this death, <laughs> you know, on the Star Destroyer? Like, did you they mean not... ones that they actually shot and referenced that they were shooting like 10 minutes before that scene? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think like the big, broad storytelling moments are, I think absolutely are just fine in that movie. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. um, the good guys win in the end. Ray has this nice kind of inspiring character arc, you know, at the, like the punchline of the movie, as it were, is she is embracing this legacy that is, not necessarily her own, but she's choosing it as her own. Like she's claiming mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. And she's, you know, she's walking away from, you know, whoever her granddaddy fucked. <laughs> I mean, whoever it was. Um, but, you but, know, you know, he was out there, not to get super gross immediately, but you know, he was out there with like thousands of people just to like make sure that someone would have a child because it's Palpatine. He likes to plan. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't ever want to think about that. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, he set a lot of things in motion. He was very patient. You know, had this slow, <laughs> you know, this slow burn plan for galactic domination. You know, he's going to start as a senator and then gradually worm his way uh, you know, into the chancellor's position, you know, get all of, you know, all of the, 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 the state powers invested in him. I'm sure he had it on his calendar to fuck. Like, oh, he totally did. Oh yeah. We're going to, we're going to make that shit happen. Uh, and then we're just going to like dispose of that child to get the grandchild. Like that's what we're mm-hmm. going to do. Um, so what's 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 the The movie's still a fucking mess (laughs) oh 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 clearly right clearly um the whole trilogy because yeah it it starts with abrams ends with abrams like if you wanted to have something stronger at least in my mind like Mm -hmm. bring palpatine back in the first movie like give the whole trilogy some stakes here like clearly explain like the first order and the relation to the empire and just mm-hmm. like quit fucking around like abrams just did a lot of fucking around in that first movie he sure did that first movie is such it's i still hate it i hated it from like 10 minutes in and i still hate it even thinking about it because it's just like okay cool but what if we did another death star and i've seen <laughs> i've seen a lot of people make the justification that, it, you know, it's a it's an analogy for endless war and all that shit. And I was like, okay, actually kind of looping back to Abrams in general, how I characterize him is that he uses all the shots that Steven Spielberg uses in a film, but doesn't understand why, Steve, why Spielberg put them there. <laughs> it feels like he's imitating his idols without an, a basic understanding of why you use certain shots, why you use certain angles and why you use certain kinds of editing to tell a story. I'm just like, what are you doing, dude? This makes no sense. 
Yeah. Very strange. Yeah, there's there's no there's no next level there. It's just No. It's just this baseline physiological like autoimmune reflective <laughs> response to, to exactly. filmmaking and and storytelling. Like again, at a fundamental level it does work. But mm-hmm. when you start to pull back, it just it's it's just a mess. Um, ticking the boxes, there's no connective tissue and there's no risk ever. Yeah. And absolutely. even even in blockbusters, you know, and a lot of people have been panning popular Hollywood for a long time. I'm a huge fan of a well wrought blockbuster. You wanna throw a fucking helic a, a car to helicopter in a diehard movie, I'm completely there for it. Hell yeah. But there's a there's right? Who doesn't want to see that? There's a formula that works, and you have to understand why the formula is there if you want to break it, and you also have to understand why it's there if you want to emulate it. And he kind of does neither. <laughs> and yet, he he still keeps getting these franchises. I don't I don't understand it. But I mean, they they make money, right? That that, that goes they back do. to uh, to White Knight, like. John Gordon Murphy sells books. J.J. Abrams good, sells good tickets. for him for doing it. Good for both of them for doing it. You know, no hate to either of them, but it's just like I have deep issues with the products that you that you make that other people seem to love, and I don't understand why people do. And that's not particularly a loaded statement. I just like you. I genuinely don't get it. That's not my kind of wish fulfillment or my kind of you know artistic junk food. So it's not something that works for me. Yeah, um, and, and you're very good to make the point that uh, this is certainly not a personal attack on those guys. Although, no, no, no. Uh, although I have always said, uh, if I ever get some kind of make a wish deal, uh, <laughs> if I if I get some kind of terminal illness, and like the make a wish people come to me and they're like, "Will, you got you got one thing we can do for you? What is it?" I'm like, I want to sit down with J.J. Abrams and I want to watch. Uh, for the second time, Star Trek Into <laughs> Darkness, and I want to I want to sit right next to him, and I want to tell him all of the things he screwed up. As as I am dying, I want him to sit there and take it. Uh, but uh, that that's probably the meanest thing I would do to him. Um, would you also have John Cena in the room? You know. To, like hold him in his seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you were going like, uh, you know, would you want to like make John Cena feel bad too? Um, make John Cena watch Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he probably has, to be fair, but who knows? Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I I can't think of anything right now that I think John Cena needs to feel bad for. Um, although some of his most recent appearances where he's just kind of like goofy and silly and not taking the, the wrestling seriously anymore. It's like, we could, we could do without that. Um, he's always been good on the mic. I don't necessarily have a problem with him. I have a problem with, you know, the, the McMahon. That's my main beef with the WWE. Like most people. Clearly. Right. Um, uh, you know, 90% of WWE television is written for one, you know, senile old man. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I will say my lasting memory from 
whatever the most recent WrestleMania was, was John Cena returning in his Thugonomics character. Like, the rest of the show is just a blur, and none of it matters at this point, but but that that promo and that, that kind of throwback, <laughs> that was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. The rest of the show was very forgettable. Yeah, like seven hours of forgettableness. Oh, my God. Um... So ultimately, where do we leave this idea of of letting people like what they like? Like they're gonna be into stuff that is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do about it? Well, I I've been thinking about this a lot recently. What I do about it is I challenge the language. Like no one's telling you that you can't like something. If you read a critique of something that makes you angry, for this for you know not like wow this person's being really shitty to this creator or this person has is drawing conclusions that are you know not from the text itself if you read a review and it pisses you off because you really like the thing that's being reviewed and the person found some legitimate flaws with it that is a hundred percent on you it's not on the person who's critiquing it so i can't let you like anything you can choose to like something and if i change your mind that means i actually did my job Yes, I agree with that. Um, Should I add like peasants to the end of that sentence just to be a complete asshole? Or? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I try so hard uh, to not be an asshole on online because there Me too, are, I'm not succeeding lately. <laughs> yeah, there are so many assholes online, and I know. Yeah, uh, I feel especially as as a white guy, it's like there are enough white guy assholes online you can't beat another one um so i'm 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 trying my best i'm i'm really i really am um i think you do a good job because i can tell when you start getting uh, feisty it's because you're irritated by a take on something not just deciding to have a hot take of your own why thank you um I appreciate you coming on uh, coming on my show to kiss my ass. It's very nice that, of you. <laughs> I got to say something nice, right? <laughs> but no, I, and that's how I feel too. It's like I'm not here to dunk on anyone's shit until I see 500 people being like, this changed the face of American cinema. And I'm like, hold on a second. No, it did not. <laughs> Absolutely. And and look, I'm, I'm an ethical dunker. I don't dunk on somebody who's like out there with like, you know, 25 followers. Exactly. No, no you, you don't do that. Um, and I don't dunk on that's something that's. Uh, I, I don't dunk on something that that is like so obviously bad that there are like a thousand other people out there criticizing it too. Um, mm-hmm. I try not to uh, to retweet like absolutely like disgusting, hateful stuff just to dunk on it. Like I try to be good at this stuff, and you know what? We're we're all learning, right? We're all learning all the time in ways yep. to to be better. Um, let's talk some comics. Cool. Uh, what you reading? Fuck comics. <laughs> hey, hey, they can be good sometimes. Yes, no, no, I know. I like several comics. <laughs> oh, let's see. To answer your question seriously, um, what did I read recently? I actually just finished Strange Skies over East Berlin, which I really enjoyed. It's a four-issue miniseries from Boom that is pretty dope. There's a lot, you know, I mean, 
given the political climate, it makes sense that there's a lot of war narrative kind of swirling in the collective unconscious, if you're into that woo-woo shit. And I think it's probably one of the best World War II kind of navel-gazing stories I've read in a while. Jeff, and I, and I, I know I'm going to screw up the last name because I'm, I'm thinking, I think, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was thinking too hard about it. Um, he, he is great. Like he is a mm-hmm. really great writer. Uh, did you read Judas? Yes. Oh my God. That, that fucked that me book. up. Um, mm-hmm. he, he needs to do more. Um, I agree. Uh, I agree. And I remember this, this book got some hype when the first issue came out and then, not that I'm the sum total of comics Twitter, but I haven't seen much about it since. And I think it's really worth a read. I, uh, I've, I've been meaning to certainly like, I think everybody who reads comics has this giant pile of comics. They're like, yeah, yes. I'm going to read that. I've been totally yes. meaning to read that. Um, and that's definitely one. I'm of them. staring at it right now. Like it's just, it's the sea of books in a corner of our living room. It's kind of intimidating. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to his next project, whatever it is, uh, because I think he's got a, a real good sense of of serious storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And if he can, yeah, again, I haven't I haven't read um, the Berlin book um, again, meaning to. Uh, but if it, if it's anything close to what Judas was, I'd, I'd certainly like the stories are different. Uh, but just mm-hmm. in terms of like the emotional core and just weight of the thing. Um, yes, it is. Then, um, it absolutely is. Again, he, he needs to be doing more. Um, I think he did a whole bunch with, um, like seasons four and five of Rick and Morty. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. And then, um, I think he left after, after, again, after doing those two seasons. So, um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, big things coming from him. Um, Definitely. And S- I'm going to butcher his name. Um, Lysandra Estherin's art is phenomenal. And the colors and the letters kind of fit in in such an integrated package that the visuals just fantastic. And it supports a lot of what Loveness is trying to get across. It can be a little talky at times, especially in the second and third issues. There are a couple, one too many existential questions are asked. But overall, I think it's a success. And I think it it takes some chances. Does it hit the, uh, the Bendis threshold of being talky? No. Okay. Well then we're, we're all good. That's a, that's a pretty intense threshold to hit to be fair. But it's also, I say that because that's one of my, that's one of my, uh, beefs with comics. If I open it up and I see a sea of dialogue, I'm just like, Oh no, here we go. And sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it isn't. And it completely depends on the book. And this one, it kind of raised a mental question mark, but I think it's worth it. And it's not extreme, you know? I, I tell you, one of the, the one of my favorite interviews that I ever did, uh, Dan uh, Brereton. Um, again, the names, the hardest part in comics journalism, the freaking names. Um, I'm glad I'm not alone in that because anytime I have to say anyone's name, I just have a moment where I'm like, I'm just gonna fuck this up so oh, yeah. bad. And oh yeah, I, I have to uh, I have to record um, uh, a thing for the end of this show about how I mm-hmm. fucked up a name in the last show. Um, <laughs> 
it, it, it's always the ones that you're like, yeah, I, I fucking know how to pronounce that name. I'm not a goddamn idiot. I can pronounce a name. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, when I was talking with Dan, and this line has always stuck with me, like from the second it it came out of his mouth, a lot of comic book writers are failed novelists. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, yep. that just cuts to the core of, mm-hmm. of opening a book and seeing like a thousand paragraphs, um, which is yet another reason why White Knight is terrible. But anyway... <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, uh, what else you read? I caught up on Ice Cream Man, and I have to revise my uh, my earlier opinion from January and February of 2019, which was, and eh, this book isn't as good as it was. I think it's still great, and I think uh, kind of reading reading over the last couple arcs again in succession, I was like, oh yeah. There's some subtle shit going on in this book that you really need to track, which I can't apparently track because I don't remember things month to month anymore. Now, where did um, where did Prince and the gang lose you specifically? Do you do you remember? I do remember, and it was with the palindrome issue. Ah, yeah, that was. I, I could see how. That could not be everybody's jam. Like I'm, I'm contractually obligated to love uh, each issue of Ice Cream Man. It's, it's in the secret contract that I have with, uh, with uh, Maxwell Prince. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that was just so just different, right? Like nobody in all of like mainstream, you know, big three comics is trying anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't just, have a problem with the gimmick of it per se. I was just kind of like, okay, the throne is empty. I get it. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds kind of harsh, but at that point I was like, what, wait, what? Okay. I'm, I'm so into the like archetypal cowboy versus ice cream man epic battle that we have for, you know, the fate of all the universes. I was like, I want more of the meta plot. God damn it. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, they should be fighting with lasers at this point. Isn't that what comic books are? (laughs) Yeah. We had that, um, we had that real meta arc. Uh, what was that? Not the most recent arc, but the one before that, where it was just like Rick and Caleb throughout time. Um, yeah, that was that was really interesting. Um, let's talk about seventeen. Let's let's talk about um, yeah. Let's talk about it. Uh, the the mysterious advanced preview that uh, that I <laughs> secretly distribute to all uh, Ice Cream Man fans online, which is exactly like two of them that I regularly talk to. Um, Yay. <laughs> um, I will be honest that this one, well, well, first of all, I was like, like thinking about this, it's like, I've said this before, Ice Cream Man is the only book that is so consistently good, it makes me angry. Like, I'm like, God, damn it, I wish I could do something half as good as this. Um, Mm -hmm. But this one made me especially angry, because I'm like, 
God damn it. Now he's doing comic book criticism in his comic book. Um, <laughs> fuck. There's nothing left for the rest of us. Um, oh, that's not true. We can do it, too. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to like go back and read All-Star Superman. Like, I... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I... I don't think that this issue touched me as deeply as as a lot of the rest of them. But I'm, 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 that's not to say that it's not good or, or interesting. Um, I understand what you mean, but it's more of a conceit and it's more of a send-up, I think, than other issues are. Go on. <laughs> to just drop a loaded statement and casually walk away. <laughs> no, I think, well, you know, he's taking on... The, the creative team is taking on the whole history of Superman, which is quite a big deal. You know, they're they're taking a look at kind of the utter incongruous insanity of the Golden Age, and and then they're taking the piss out of uh, out of All Star Superman. And I absolutely love that book, and I heartily enjoyed this take on it as well. I thought it was great. I think you should absolutely kill your darlings, and I think. Uh, I think nothing is above critique or or recasting. I think they did an excellent job here. What do you think that Maxwell Prince would say is his main takeaway from All Star Superman? Oh, that jeez, <laughs> the man is an enigma. What can I say? Um, hmm. I don't. I think a lot of folks are going to take a look at this issue and assume that it's cynical, but I don't necessarily think that's the point. I think the point uh, for me to not answer your question and recast it as a question I can't answer. The point of this issue for me is to show just how incongruous, weird, insane—and I mean insane—in that it, you know comics actually disrupt the logical flow of thought in time and just weird comics can be and how that can be kind of a horrific experience. Anytime you try to ground that in reality, and a lot of folks have tried to do that before, like, what would it actually be like to live in Metropolis for a day? I'm pretty sure you lose your fucking mind because everything's getting blown up and Brainiac just showed up and you're like, I just got to get to work, dude. Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's a high, it's a, it's a melodramatic universe. And it's uh, it's so big and so goes so hard all the time that when you stop and think about it, it is such a weird, strange and bizarre thing that we've created. I think he's kind of teasing at that a little bit. It's certainly uh, when I was reading it, it made me think of like other commentaries and critiques on the Superman mythos, right? Um, mm -hmm. Did you ever read uh, Irredeemable? Yes. It, it really reminded me of that. Like, hey, guess what? If there ever was a Superman, he would probably flip out and lose his shit at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, God, I would... Um, I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, 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 no. I had the hiccups. Oh. <laughs> That's why I said excuse me. Oh. <laughs> I, I take issue with what you said. <laughs> um, 
I, I kind of wish. Um, I kind of wish. Uh, thinking about irredeemable now, I wish it wasn't all the like gross stuff in it. Um, yeah. Well. But anyway, uh, the the core idea I think is good and sound and like really just kind of unsettling. Um, which which is like the core of Ice Cream Man, right? Like every single issue is is unsettling in some way or another. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I think in some ways to kind of draw this out to the series as a whole, the more facets they add, the more complex and tenuous the whole structure of the universe becomes. But I think I also just have to kind of slow my roll and be like, okay, we're just going to look at a lot of different ways in which people could potentially be terrible and over a long period of time. And you'll get your, your archetypal narrative along the way. I just have to be patient. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost like, um, like X files, right? Like there's going to be some monster of the week type stuff. And then there's Mm -hmm. occasionally going to be an episode that's like super into the overall conspiracy. And then there's some episodes that are like kind of a mix of the two. We characterize the X-Files in my circles as smallpox and bees, and period. (laughs) That's the meta plot. (laughs) Um, Anything else you're reading? Hmm, what else am I reading? Reading the plot uh, that Vault is putting out, which is cool. I like, uh, I'm a huge sucker for house horror (laughs) There's a more academic way to say that, but I'm just like, I like scary stories that take place in old houses. Uh, what else am I reading? Hmm. I actually went back and read uh, some of my favorites from the New 52. So I reread All-Star Western and Demon Knights recently, which was a lot of fun. At least the first arc of Demon Knights before I kind of went off the rails a little bit. And hmm, what else? I feel like anytime, even if I write a list down, anytime someone asks me what I'm reading, I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. Some stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Bunch of crap. I... <laughs> yeah. Um, are, are you reading, and this is, uh, this is a, the, the first segment of the show that listeners will have already heard, but you have not heard because it's not recorded yet. Um, mm-hmm. uh, are you reading any of the, the Hill House books? No, I have not read them yet. Uh, I would definitely recommend, of, of any of them, uh, Basket Full of Heads. Okay. Uh, it is a good, like, just slasher, uh, grindhouse kind of feel to it. Um, with okay. like a With, like, a touch of, um, like, a touch of magic and mysticism. Ooh, excellent. Um, uh, the idea is... Uh, you've got this uh, young woman in this beach town that's being cut off by a storm, and there are some convicts on the loose that are terrorizing her. They've kidnapped her boyfriend. Oh, but wait, she has a magic axe, and um, the axe, the the property of the axe is that when you cut off somebody's head, uh, they stay alive. Ooh. So she's got like she's running through this this nightmare with a basket full of talking heads. 
Um, it's a literal basket of that's fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah, so right. Like they are not <laughs> fucking around. Like, yeah, we got a basket full Excellent. of talking heads in this book. Um, the, the rest of the line, I think, is more esoteric. But esoteric's I, fine. But I like some good pulpy bullshit. Yeah, so. yeah. Like Joe Hill is definitely like right in the middle of like mainstream pulpy bullshit with uh excellent uh, with basketful of heads um two more questions for you before we get out of here um mm-hmm. how, how did you get into the the comics uh journalism biz like what what started you in this oh so i am a i'm a female-bodied person whose partner actually got them into comics. Uh, my partner was raised by a comic book store owner, so it's been in his family for a very long time, and he started writing for Outright Geekery, and I had started reading comics probably about 10 years before, but not too, too seriously. And then he was like, hey, you're a writer. They're looking for writers. I was like, wait, people review comics? What? This is a thing? I was like, okay, I'll try it. And then just kind of the bug bit me from there and I was like yes I really really enjoy reading stuff or I enjoy writing stuff that no one's ever going to (laughs) read for no money it's awesome Uh, story of my life (laughs) no but seriously I it's a really good way for me to kind of exercise my critical brain not to say that I do so effectively all the time but I've just kind of you know I've migrated to other websites I've met new people I've read kind of a broader swath of work than I ever think I, I would have otherwise, and it's broadened my tastes quite a bit, too. So I'm just really happy to be here, seriously. A- absolutely. Um, and I feel the same way, too. It's like, this is this is never going to be, like, a full-time profession for, for any of us, right? Except for, like... The, the two the yeah the the two editors out there that are like corporately owned and they have mm-hmm. to put up 15 you know listicles a day or they get their uh you know their heads cut off um but this is this is a great like creative outlet you know and, and it is. I, I like being able to to read books and and interact with them with just any kind of way that just kind of pops into my head i, I really love that um when uh, when did you sort of decide to set up your own shingle, and and what's that process been like? I decided to start my own site. I think early last year, it had been kicking around in my mind for a while. I had a you know in back in the day, it's deleted now, so feel free to not Google this. Anyone who's listening to this, I had a really terrible poetry blog for a long time, ah. but it kind of <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I was like. Let's get a let's get a master's degree in creative writing and then try to do the kind that absolutely no one gets paid for and do it really badly. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. And so I did that and then I was like, you know, I miss having my own space and this way I kind of get to write the way I want to and then more importantly, I get to interview the people that I want to and that's been super fun. Yeah, yeah, I I love talking with creatives because Usually, usually, sometimes I'll I'll fuck up and I'll 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 book a bad interview. But usually, people are excited to talk about uh, their stuff. 
Uh, Occasionally, though, you'll get some kind of random weirdo who's just antisocial and it's just like, wow, this is this is painful for both of us. Why did you (laughs) even agree to this? I don't get what's going on here. Please, let's get out of this, you know. Uh, but uh, you're right. Interviews can be a lot of fun and mm-hmm. especially like picking the brain of, yes. of an artist. I really love that. Uh, I mean, I, I know nothing about like the art and creating and, um, you know, setting out to draw a comic like, man, fuck me if I had to do that. Um, but just hearing somebody walk through their process and describing it, it's just, I, I feel like I learned so much and it's just so interesting. Um, it is, it's really nice to hear. I don't like, I don't like demystifying a, a particular piece too much, but I really like to hear like, what was your reference for this or what inspired this and what did you, what kind of media did you draw from? Like, what do you, and just hearing about what they're working on that might not be for public consumption or that might just be for them is just really cool. So the conversations can go in all sorts of different directions and it's, it's everyone has been really gracious about me taking up a good portion of their time and it's super fun for me. So I've been enjoying the hell out of it. Oh yeah. Um, the, the most dangerous interviews are the ones where like, yeah, I've got as much time as you need. Yeah. Uh, we can talk like, all day. Right. Be- we're going to be here for five hours. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to publish some like lightly edited transcript because everything you say is fascinating to me. To hell with the readers. Who cares, right? Um, <laughs> like you get five parts and you'll like every single one, goddammit. Yes, you will. Because fuck you. This is good stuff. Uh, right? It's good shit, as, uh, as Vince shit, McMahon would say. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I, I do want to stop briefly, briefly, mm-hmm. uh, to compliment, uh, kc-comics.com. I love the, the interface, the layout. It's all so clean oh, and lovely. Um, uh, I know there's like a thousand different, um, you know, WordPress layouts out there, but you got a good one. You got a good one. I like it. Thank you. I uh, appreciate that. It took about five million years to pick one. <laughs> now I'm like, I don't know if I like looking at this one anymore. And there's some tweaks that I want to make that'll make it more user friendly. But I'm happy that it's starting from a good place. You know, I, I not more than forty five seconds after I just said like to hell with the readers. Like usability. There's a <laughs> there's a lot to say in that. Especially when um, when you go on some of these uh, you know these big uh, these big comic book sites and you're just assailed with pop ups and ads and just it just makes it such an unpleasant experience. Um, when it takes about five years to load on mobile and then I'm just like constantly trying to x out of like eczema cream and car insurance ads, I'm like, this is not how I would like to consume my media today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I understand done. why it needs to be there. Because monetization is hard, and no one gets paid for this. But at the same time, it's like, woof! This is a bad reading experience. What are your plans for this year, twenty twenty? Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, I don't know. I do have some. I do have some things I actually can't talk about in the works, which ooh. is very exciting. It's the first time I have ever gotten to say that. Oh, I can't talk about this. 
But my main goal eventually, and I got a good start on this last year and continuing this year, is I would love to get into editing. And I also am working, isn't everyone, I'm working on a comic of my own. Ooh. Isn't that fascinating? It could be fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to let you know now. (laughs) But yeah, I had an idea. It's stuck. I'm working on it with my partner where we got a script in the works. And then I did some initial, I sent some initial feelers out for artists last year. And I put that on hold because we have more work to do. But it may be a thing. If not this year, then next year. So we'll see. Well, I believe in you. I think this can happen. (laughs) Thank you. I look forward to inflicting myself upon you and all of my my internet buddies soon. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have had precisely two ideas that I thought were workable comics. Uh, One was a licensed property, and uh, one was practically a licensed property that is mm-hmm. uh, is not being published anymore. So, you know. Damn it. I, I know, right? Um, but, man, that, that first idea was so good. It was so good. <laughs> uh, Hold on to it. You never know. You never know where you could use it. That's right. That's right. It'll it'll stay in, in the back of my mind forever mm-hmm. thinking about how, man, that was a perfect title. Man, that was a perfect story. Man, I wish I could just <laughs> write a comic. Um, well, uh, is there anything else, uh, that we should have touched on that we didn't? Hmm. As you probably actually mentioned that I do genuinely like comics (laughs) in media. (laughs) And then I'm here because, uh, my, my critique comes from a deep love and the, the occasional frustration of wanting things to be better than they are. And it is fun to occasionally talk shit with folks, but you know, I think you and me both, along with plenty of our, our comrades on the internet, really try to give everything a fair shake, and everyone else should do so, too. So that's my moralizing for the day. Well, I think that is a perfectly good place to leave it. Um, let's, get your plugs, <laughs> let's get your plugs back in. Okay. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Cabbage Comics. And you can catch up on what I'm reviewing and who I'm talking to at Knowledgeable Cabbage Comics at kc-comics.com. I also regularly contribute to Multiversity Comics, The Valkyries, and I edit and contribute over at Comic Book Yeti. Krista, it has been lovely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this, and hopefully I don't come off like a complete asshole. (laughs) There's only one asshole on this show, and it's going to be me. Oh, don't make it a challenge. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate it. I admire your work quite a bit, and I really enjoy the, the rapport that we have. So it's been a real pleasure getting to know you. Oh, oh, I'm going to have to edit that out. Ugh. Bye. <laughs> oh, it really has Am been I lovely. Am I not allowed to be nice at all? Is that <laughs> no, no, you can be nice. You can be nice. <laughs> You're all right, dude, whatever. Okay, good. Good. That's a good You're place fine. to leave it. <laughs> you are fine. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. This was great. Thank you. I told you that was a good conversation. Wasn't I right? Yeah? You gonna listen to Old Will next time? That's what I thought. Okay. To the break. 
one last time. When we come back, we're going to take care of a little oopsie-daisy from the pilot episode. And I'm going to get a little soft and squishy. But that comes after this. More in a moment on The Breezeway. Does this sound like you? If you're feeling tired all the time, moody, sleepy, or even constipated and waning gait, buildup of waste, metallic taste in the mouth, or ammonia breath, nausea and vomiting, loss of appetite, not wanting to eat meat or other strong flavors, difficulty concentrating, feeling itchy, and feeling fatigue. Headaches, dizziness, blurry vision, chest pain, palpitations, which is when your heart beats really strangely, or shortness of breath. Making more or less urine than usual. Making urine that is foamy or bubbly. Feeling excess pressure when urinating. Changes in the overall color and appearance of the urine. And blood in the urine, which is usually only detected through a microscope. Hi, I'm Will Nevin, and I'm a doctor. So trust me when I say, if that sounds like you, then you need to go to WMQComics.com. Get yourself checked out. WMQComics.com. You'll make just the right amount of urine. Welcome back to our final segment on this week's show. We have surpassed the 90-minute mark, so let's make this quick and get the hell out of here. Cleaning up a mess from our pilot episode. Can't even get through one goddamn episode without making a mistake. Would like to offer a sincere apology to Elliot Rahal, because I've been fucking up his name all this time. As we talked about with Krista, names are the single hardest part of comics book, uh, comic book journalism. So, again, my apologies to Elliot for fucking that up on the very first goddamn episode. So, what I wanted to leave out on this week in my day job. I, I like to have a lot of fun with the podcast. I like to have a lot of fun with uh, what I do for WMQ Comics and wherever else I publish. But my day job, the thing that pays the bills, is I am, as I said earlier, an assistant professor of communications at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And in my job, I I teach, obviously. Uh, I teach a lot. Um given my, my station in life. Um, and I have an opportunity to work with students on a daily basis. And I can't tell you all how much joy that gives me to see students who are interested and engaged and sometimes who have 
really no clue about what I'm trying to teach him, but we all try to learn together, as it were. And to me, the the start of a new semester this week is both a frightening time because I I don't know these students. I'm not comfortable with them. They're not comfortable with me, uh, at least for the new ones anyway. But there's a time with a lot of promise because we got a whole semester in front of us and just thinking about all the things we could accomplish. And, and I'm excited and, and I'm excited to, to be with them and to help them over the next couple of months. I, I'm a big old softy uh, when it comes to students. I, I cannot possibly fathom the the worldview that some of my colleagues in academia have that that is almost adversarial. I don't I don't understand the oh you didn't come to class so I want to see your doctor's note or you didn't come to class so I want to see the program from your parents' funeral. You know I, I I don't understand that mindset. It's never been my mindset, and I just I can't I can't fathom it. So if you are listening to this and you are a student, I wish you the greatest success, uh, both in this semester and in the rest of your journey, both in your education and in whatever comes next. May you always be a student. May we always be students, constantly learning, constantly evaluating our place in the world and our views of it. And that's all I got for this first episode of The Breezeway. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Krista, for speaking with me. Apologies again to Elliot Rahal. It's been a blast. I look forward to seeing you again next time here on The Breezeway. Take it easy.